Hello, everyone. Welcome back to class. Welcome to session two of Knowing God's Word, course one. Uh, so, of course, in this course, as we said, uh, we will be breaking this course down into sessions. So, last week, uh, we talked about um, what it was to understand the Word of God from the basis of symbolism. And so, this week, we're going to be going into uh, what we call the literal area of the Word of God and how we understand the Bible. So if you have your notebooks, uh, let's get started. So we are in session two, um, literal. Studying the Bible from a literal and practical perspective uh, is going to be our first point. Our second point is going to be from divine logic. And our last point, which is point three, is going to be from a depth of wisdom from the Word of God. So let's begin. So, reading the Word. Reading the Word, to read the Word from a literal mindset, is to take all the stories written therein as number one factual undistorted authentic unadulterated word of god that is important to know beyond a shadow of a doubt the word of god is true the word of god is accurate all the stories in it are accurate and so when we read it from the place of it being literal, that is how we read it. We read it from the place that these are real people, real stories, and real events that happened in history. The accounts we read and what God is desiring to teach us is coming from a real place. These were real people, places, and times that really existed long ago and have been written for our education and edification in the faith of God. Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, says it this way. Luke, the writer, writes, Since many people have attempted to write an orderly account of the events that have transpired among us, just as they were passed down to us by those who had been eyewitnesses, and servants of the word from the beginning, I too have carefully investigated everything from the beginning and have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Everything is coming from a real place. And we cannot go in this direction without understanding um, and answering the question when we are reading the Bible if Jesus is real and if Jesus uh, really was born. Yes, he really was born. If we read the Word of God literal, then we have to understand that the very highlighted person 
of both Old and New Testament principle is Jesus of Nazareth. So was he God? Yes. Was he really born in the likeness of human flesh? Yes. And this is where this particular session is going to discuss that. And so we cannot discuss it without understanding both his genealogy and his ancestry. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. It says, and the writer writes, an introduction to Jesus the Messiah, or Jesus the Nazarene. This is a record of the life of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, by written account, the ancestry of Jesus. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah and Tamar, by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nishan, and Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by the wife of Uriah, Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijai, Abijai fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah, Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Amos, and Amos fathered Josiah. Josiah fathered Jehoiakim and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Je Jeconiah fathered Saleth, Saleth fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abuab, Abuab fathered Elikim, Elikim fathered Ezor, Ezor fathered Zedek, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Elub, Elub fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Matham, and Matham fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary who was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah and the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David totaled 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon totaled 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah's birth, there were 14 generations. So that gives you an accurate and literal account of the fact of the word of God being both 
yes, a symbolic book, but also a very literal document containing in it truths about real people, their marriages, who was born, and how all of that totaling brings itself to the very measure of the life of the Son of God. Which brings us to our first point from divine logic. So as we read the Word of God, especially prophecy and New Testament as well as Old Testament writings, there should always be a rhythm of divine logic in four distinct areas. Number one, how each story is written. Number two, the names of people and places are important. Number three, how God reveals himself in the story, his essence and his holiness. And number four, how humanity responds to the divine and to God. Let us begin. So, reason for logic. What is the reason for divine logic? The explanation is given that divine logic is in itself a manner of reasoning that is reflected in the Old Testament itself and expounded in the epistles. It is also affirmed in the various proclamations recorded in the book of Acts, briefly and in accordance with the prophets of old. This reasoning can be stated in this manner. Number one, although it did not take God by surprise, sin introduced a situation that was, apart from God, absolutely hopeless. It was a dilemma that could in no way be resolved by men, regardless of their professed expertise. Furthermore, because it caused men to become enemies of God, it had to be resolved by God himself. So number two, the need for salvation is also appeared to have set certain divine qualities at variance with one another. Qualities that, if men were to be saved, had to be united. These included mercy and truth, and righteousness and peace. Truth and righteousness could not overlook sin, yet mercy and peace yearned for the retrieval of mankind. This all together births the John 3.16-17 through 17 proclamation. If men were to be rescued from the fall, point three, a means must be provided that allowed for the unqualified harmony of mercy and truth, as well as righteousness and peace. This was a need that God required and transcended the desperate need of humanity. Unless this need was met, 
man's situation could not be successfully addressed, much less resolved. God must be thoroughly satisfied with any remedy. With absolutely no expectations, this was accomplished after Jesus rose from the dead. It was only then that it could be said, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Psalm 85.10 Without this rhythm or of thought, salvation would never have happened. Therefore, divine logic is necessary. Which brings us to our second point, the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 17 through 7 says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to learn wisdom and moral instruction, to discern wise counsel, to receive moral instruction in skillful living. With righteousness, justice, and equity. To impart shrewdness to the, to the morally naive. A discerning plan to the young person. Let the wise also hear and gain instruction and let the discerning acquire guidance to discern the meaning of a proverb and a parable, the sayings of the wise and their riddles. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of discernment, but fools have despised wisdom and moral instruction. So to understand the, the whole basis of literal wisdom that we retrieve from God, we must first put our hearts to finding out and learning it. That's why he says, let the wise also gain instruction. There is a gaining of instruction and gaining from the mind of God, which is what we just read, the divine logic of God, which is the rhythm of salvation and the rhythm of grace that flows between the Old and New Testament scriptures. From the prophets to the epistles, it is this rhythm by which we stand and we receive wisdom to discern the meaning of a proverb and a parable, the sayings of the wise.
therefore we must bring us to our third point. We must read with wisdom. Proverbs 4, 5 through 9. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a fair garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Closing arguments. So, some will ask in this class, why can't we just read the Bible like another book? What, what, is, what is the reason for us reading the Bible this way? Well, to answer that is this. Because its content is written to educate the reader to be transformed into the image of the author. That is why. And it's very important that we see it that way. As we end this session and we go into the next one, my heart behind this study and course is that you would understand the basis by which the Bible is written. Number one, it is written symbolically because God wants to speak and point us in the right directions. And is written literally because he wants us to understand that that is the foundation by which we can stand on. That is a solid foundation, both accurate and authentic. So therefore, because of that, we cannot read the Bible just as a regular book. Because we are being, when we read it, transformed into the image of the divine. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.